Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23. I, I am so excited about this series that we're uh, going to start this morning. And um, you like Mufasa over here? Isn't that cool? Um, special thanks to Greg Gibson for that. That is one of about three or four that he has in his uh, game room. I've been privileged to be able to be in that game room and see some of what he's got and there are some beautiful animals, and that's one of the ones he, he they went uh, beyond the call of duty on Friday to get that to us. That was not easy to get that here, uh, just so you'll know. I think it took him several hours to figure out how to do that, um, but he's going to be with us today. I would just ask you that uh, your kids are going to be very curious about this, and I don't know what he's worth, but he's worth more than I got, so if you could just... <laughs> If you could just help me keep your kids away from him because he is a magnet for kids and uh, I just really don't want little hands all over him. So if you'd help me in that regard, that'd be great. I don't mind you bringing them in and letting them see it. Just don't let them touch it. That'd be awesome. Um, you're walking along and you're, you're isolated. You're not around family or friends. You're not, uh, you're not close to home. You're in, a, you're in a, a, a strange place. You're in a far off place. You're out in the the kind of environment that you would find someone like our friend here and you look up as you walk and you see him and he is staring at you and your eyes lock with his eyes and you have a decision to make and the decision is basically this do I swim for it do I run for it or do I climb for it one of the things probably that is not going through your mind is do I fight him I mean, do I chase him down into a pit to fight him? The odds are pretty good that you're not going to choose fight as one of the options that you have when you come face-to-face with a creature like this. Um, I was talking to Ryan Persh back before church started, and he, we were just looking at him, and he said, man, I would not want to tangle with something like that. That's pretty much my sentiments exactly. Let's start with this premise. Normal people do not chase lions. Normal people don't chase lions. I want you to look. There's a, there's a story in Scripture, and it's, a, it's pretty obscure. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Benaiah. Benaiah is a, a man we find in 2 Samuel 23, and there in, in that particular uh, section of Scripture, what we learn about are the 30 mighty men of David, and then we find out about three other men and three other men, and then one guy mentioned by himself specifically his name is Benaiah, and I want to really, for the next seven weeks, the, the whole seven weeks is going to revolve around this one little obscure story about Benaiah who, who chases this lion into a pit. Um, let's just read that together. Second Samuel 23, verse 20 and 21. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now let's make the statement right up front. God is in the business first and foremost of securing his glory. That is what God is about more than anything else. More than God is concerned about you and God is greatly concerned about you God loves you very very much he loved you enough to send his own son for you so God has a great and immense love for you but what God is primarily concerned with is his glory he deserves it 
He doesn't want to share it. He is jealous for his glory. In fact, the reason, people think that the reason Jesus came was to save us. The reason Jesus came, first and foremost, was to secure the glory of God. And so God is going to put you and me, if we start from the premise that God is after, first and foremost, his glory, we need to state right up front alongside that, that God then is going to put us in circumstances and in cases and situations where we have an opportunity to secure that glory for him. What we would sometimes look at, at what God would say is, I'm going to put you in the right place in the right time so that you can secure my glory. We would look at that oftentimes through our eyes and we'd say, that this is the wrong place and the wrong time. God is definitely, you know, I don't know how God expects me to get anything done under these circumstances. But what God really wants to hear us say is, no, this is the right time and these are the right circumstances. I smell an opportunity to gain God's glory for him. Coming face to face with a lion for most of us, I mean, you have to think about the idea that somebody actually went out looking for this guy, but for most of us, coming face to face with a creature like this would be something that we would probably rather not do, uh, unless there's a big, huge fence uh, between us. We wouldn't want to do that. You know, we, <clears throat> the person who goes to hunt one of these sees it and says, that's a good thing. You and I would see something like that and say, no, this is a, this is a very bad thing. You know, this would be the, the start of a terrible, no good, very bad, horrible day, you know, as far as we're concerned, if we were to come face to face with a creature like this. Here's my question. Why did God decide that this story needed to be in Scripture? I mean, it's, it's pretty much just a, it's something that is put in Scripture um, and you, you, you wonder, why? What, what's, what's God up to? What is he trying to say? Why would he include something like this? We aren't told exactly what happened in that pit with Beniah when he and the lion tangled. Um, all we know is that if you had stood at the mouth of that pit and seen the scene after this event had happened, what you would see were two sets of tracks leading into the pit a set of cat tracks and a set of human tracks and you would then see one set of tracks leading out and the lion didn't make it now i want you to look at verse 23 the second part because there's a very interesting thing that gets said there uh, about benaiah and david put him in charge of his bodyguard now, you have to admit, if you were ever going to go and, and interview for the position of David's bodyguard, if you were going to submit a resume for that particular job, you've got to admit, killed a lion on a snowy day in a pit, that looks pretty good on your resume. You know, if, you, if that's the job you aspire to, that, that, that's a pretty good way to start your resume. David's looking over resumes. Can you imagine David's got resumes in front of him and he's going over these resumes and he says, you know, he sees one that says majored in security at Jerusalem University. You know, oh, that's nice. I, I, internship at the Palace Guard. That would be, you know, that'd be good on a resume. Uh, drove a Brinks chariot for three years. You know, that, that, that would be good for a resume. Nope. Yeah, can you just imagine David going through this? Eh, that's nice. Nope. Eh, nope. And then you come across chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day you know if you're david you push away from the table and you say that's the guy i want you know i mean brinks truck driver that's a brinks chariot driver that's a good job that's that's okay i mean that that'd qualify some people studied security at jerusalem university that that that, that 
okay but when you come to the guy that has the audacity the courage or the craziness in him to chase something like that into a pit on a snowy day that's the guy that you want here's what you have to understand about life god is in the resume building business god is in the resume building business god is always using past experiences to prepare us for future opportunities. But oftentimes those opportunities come disguised. They don't, you know, you don't, sometimes when you have an opportunity to get glory for God, they don't come with a label on them that says, hey, here's your big chance, okay? This is the opportunity. Oftentimes when you have the opportunity to do something big for God, it, it's, it's very obscure, you're not ready for it, and chances are really good that, that when you get presented with whatever circumstance it is your first inclination is to complain about it your first inclination is to say something like you know why is this happening to me it just doesn't seem like this is fair it doesn't seem like this is right i don't know how in the world god or anybody else expects me to make it or to bear up under these circumstances it's it would be very easy for us to look at a lot of the things that go on in our life uh, that god would say hey this is a line in your life and i'm going to give you a chance to chase it down into a hole but we wouldn't look at it that way we would say things like you know get me out of here change the circumstance or change uh, where i'm at you know we we oftentimes cower in fear in, in life's biggest challenges and so we have to ask the question if we're really after god's glory when we come face to face with circumstances that aren't necessarily in our favor and aren't necessarily you know you look at it you say well the odds i think the odds are against me in this uh, you have to say to yourself, am I going to cower in fear? Am I going to just say, well, you know, what's God expect me to do? Or am I going to op- recognize this as an opportunity for me to, to, to do something big for God? Because God wants to provide us opportunities uh, to do that. Never forget, you are on this planet. I say this all the time. You are on this planet to have fellowship with God and bring glory and honor to his name. If anybody ever asks you why you exist, that's why you exist. To have fellowship with God and to bring glory and honor to his name. Everything that happens to you is happening to you in order to lead you to an opportunity to run to or from a lion. I want to show you a video. Just, I got this by email. Um, I need to set this up, Chris, before they, they see it. You're going to see what the first time I saw this, I couldn't actually, I had to watch this two or three times to make sure that there wasn't trick photography or something. Um, and I guess we could actually do the, I don't know if the sound's going to be up on this. I guess we can leave the sound up. The guy that's videotaped this thing is, uh, you know, he's pretty, he gets kind of excited. But, but, and I don't know if what you're about to see is that you're going to see a snake, all right? And I don't know if this snake is venomous or not, but the sheer size of this snake is enough to make me want to go in the opposite direction. And, and so I just want you to see this I'm showing you this just basically to talk about defying odds. If, if there's ever a little guy that defies odds, you're about to see him. Let's see the video. He's certainly being brave today. There's a rip. Oh, whoa! That gum, I didn't get that. Oh, he went back for more. Oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> see, she's trying to run him off. Can you believe that? Can you believe it? Is she gonna bite him? That's what she do it. Look at that, honey. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, he's going 
going up in a tree. He tried to get away from her. She must be biting him. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, God. He made it up that tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's just awesome to me. I, I, we've, we've watched that several times in the office this week. Dr. Neil Roese wrote a book, If Only. And in that book, he, he distinguishes between two different kinds of regrets. And the, the two regrets are regrets of action and regrets of inaction. In church, we might refer to them as sins of commission and sins of omission. Things that we do that we shouldn't have done and things that we ought to have done that we, we should that we things that we do that we shouldn't have done, things we didn't do that we should have done. One of the things that, that gets lost in, in Scripture a lot of times is there's a little verse, James 4, 17, that says, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. And, and you know, we oftentimes think about the things that we do wrong and think, well, God must be upset with us because we did something wrong. I think sometimes God might get a little upset with us because we don't do something that we should have done. We don't do the right thing sometimes, the sin of omission. We've titled this series, Lion Chaser, living with guts for God's glory. It comes off the old adage, no guts, no glory. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't have guts, God is not going to get glory. God needs people on this planet, and he needs Christians who are willing to stand up to the circumstances, the situations that come our way. He needs us to stand up in long odds. He says, look, I'm providing this as an opportunity. I get glory. When you stand up under long odds, when you undertake the things that you're going to undertake, if you will not complain, if you will not put it in reverse and back out of it, but if you'll just kind of put your head down, put it in driving, and head forward, I'm going to get glory in all those kind of situations. You know, you can walk around uh, the church, not necessarily our church, but you can walk around the church in general, and what you're going to find are basically two different kinds of people. The first kind of person you're going to find are people who are bored with their faith. You're going to find people who, who uh, you know, they, they go to church out of some sense of duty. They, they go to church because they feel like they're expected to, but they don't really get a whole lot out of it. In fact, they would even say things like that. You know, I go to church, but I just don't get anything out of it. Um, they, they, their, their life is, is marked by a lack of joy. It's marked by a lack of confidence in God. Their life is, is really, to be honest with you, whenever I've been around people like that, I find that my faith just gets dragged down, and I don't want to be around people like that. I, it's no fun for me, and I, I doubt it. If, if you've ever been around someone, probably as I'm talking, you've got somebody in your mind that you've heard say something like, you know, I just... I just, you know, I just don't feel like I'm growing, or I don't feel like, I don't, I, sometimes I wonder if God's even out there. I wonder if God's even really around. Um, and they're just not a whole lot of fun to be around. And then you run into people who just ooze with passion and joy and freedom in life. And their relationship with Jesus is vibrant, and it's real, and it's a risk-taking faith. Do you know what the difference is between those two people? The difference between the person who's bored in faith and the person who, who really has a vibrant faith is that one is a lion chaser and one is not. One lives in long odds. One recognizes that sometimes God calls us, and one of the things we're going to do, talk about in this seven-week series is taking risks. But God calls us sometimes to take risks. God calls us into odds, and he says, defy those odds. You know, that's the way I want it to be. We think, you know, if, if the odds are against us, then, then something's out of whack in the universe. That if the odds are against us, that God must be, have, have been mad at us or have led us into something and trying to teach us a lesson, when in fact, really what God is after is his own glory. 
I don't have a whole lot of tolerance for people who constantly are blaming the church because they're not growing. The fact of the matter is that a lot of times when people aren't growing, it's simply because they're not working out their faith. Your muscles grow when you work those muscles out. Your faith grows. Your faith is really, it's a form of a muscle. And it grows as it gets worked out, as it gets tested, as it gets put into circumstances and opportunities to do things that otherwise it would not do. You know, if we could have gotten odds in Vegas on Benaiah's fight with the two Moabite warriors, I have a feeling that the odds would have come down on the side of the Moabite warriors. I mean, this was not WWF tag team, you know, thing where you get a timeout and you get to get help. He took them both on at the same time. Likewise, whenever he ran up against this Egyptian uh, warrior, what the Bible refers to as a giant, and one of the things that I read this week referred to him as an eight and a half foot tall man. And he had a spear that was the size of, a, of a, a weaver's rod. Now, I don't really know what a weaver's rod looks like or how big that is, but apparently that's pretty big. And we're told that Benaiah went at him with a club. He didn't have a spear to start off with with this guy. There's this thing in boxing called reach. You know, whenever you, you, you're going to do the, uh, a boxing match, if, if uh, Muhammad Ali was going to fight Sonny Liston or Floyd Patterson or somebody, one of the things they would always do is they would give you the tail of the tape. They would give you um, how big he was, how much he weighed, uh, how old they are, um, where their hometown is, things like that. But one of the things, and I, I learned even at an early age, whenever I watched a boxing match, it always seemed to me that one of the very important variables in a boxing match was this thing called reach and you, you could watch a boxing match and if you really pay attention probably nine times out of ten the guy with the longest reach is going to be the one who wins the fight I mean not always but a lot of the times um, because that's a very very important variable when you start talking about hand-to-hand combat here's this guy with an unbelievable reach and Benaiah says I don't care you know I, I you know I know what the odds are I know the odds aren't in my favor but it doesn't matter to me and then we come to the centerpiece of our series, Benaiah tangles with a lion in a snowy pit. Now, we're not told whether or not Benaiah even had a weapon when he chased this lion into this pit. And, you know, I really don't care whether he had one. I mean, what weapon would you want to take into a pit with a, with a lion? Can you think of one? You know, I mean, if I said, if I said you got several options, one of them is to not go. And I, but I'll, if you will go, I'll give you a spear. I'll give you a sword or an, an elephant gun yeah that's the thing so the odds are good the odds are good that whatever he had if he had anything at all it wasn't a high-powered rifle which is probably what took this thing down it wasn't a high-powered rifle it was just uh it was just benaiah by himself a lion weighs hundreds of pounds a lion has an unbelievable uh, ability to leap uh over uh, crevices and up rocks and around uh, over mounds and things like that uh, it's faster than a human Lion, the jaws of a lion are capable of crushing a man's skull. The, the teeth on this animal are designed to be able to bite into and rip apart hide and flesh. They hunt everything from wildebeests to giraffes. And Benaiah, to this guy, really would be just a small snack. To you and, to you and me, we would represent just a, a light meal for him. But that wasn't even Benaiah's biggest problem. Benaiah's biggest problem is that he's at a disadvantage when it comes to traction and terrain. I mean, this guy's got, I don't know if you've been up to see this thing yet, but you need to come take a look. His paws are huge. 
and to think about the traction he would have as his paws and claws dug into that kind of terrain advantage to the lion Mufasa pretty much has home court advantage when it comes to what Beniah has in mind I mean there's no you, you just if you know Beniah looked at you and said hey I'm going to chase that thing down into a pit you, you pretty much say have you lost your mind are you crazy a pit is lion's domain and if the pit was dimly lit well that's just more of an advantage for the lion because the lion has 20 times the sight ability than a human does like I said, Vegas would have loved this matchup and they would have put all their odds on the cat. But Beniah did what lion chasers do. Beniah defied odds. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try to avoid the situation by simply you know, saying the odds aren't in my favor so I'm not going to do that. Lion chasers know that impossible odds are the home of a sovereign God. That's what you have to understand. God lives in long odds. A dark snowy pit, that's lion's domain. Long odds, that's God's domain. In Judges, the seventh chapter, there's a great story, and if you've been around the church very long, you've heard this story. It's, it's great sermon stuff. If you're new to church, I have people all the time say, Brett, when you preach some of the sermons you preach, I've never grown up in church, so when I hear these stories, I'm hearing them for the first time. If that describes you this morning, this is a great story. It's about a guy named Gideon. And Gideon had an army... And he was getting ready to go up against the Midianites. And he had an army of 32,000 guys. Now you think, well, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, that you'd have 32,000. But Gideon was probably not all that crazy about even going to war with that many. The Midianites were a, were a formidable outfit. And they were already the underdogs. And then God gives a very counterintuitive command to Gideon. Listen to the way he puts it. This is Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Now, if you were a general, or if you were over an army, one adage I'm pretty sure you would cling to is you can never have too many troops. You can never take too many guys into battle. I mean, really, one of the first questions you're going to ask if two armies were going to fight is how big are the armies? What resources are at your disposal? How many guys can you throw up against someone else's army? And then you read... God say something like, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. I mean, if you're Gideon, you're saying, huh? Excuse me? You know, I, I'm not sure I heard you right, because what I think I heard you say is that my 32,000 are too many, and I didn't really know as a general that I could have too many guys. In other words, what God's saying is the odds aren't long enough. I cannot get my glory if you've got 32,000 guys. I live in long odds. And so God tells Gideon to, to discharge everybody in his army who are afraid. And when he gets done giving that command, he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. If you're afraid to go to battle, I need you to raise your hand. 22,000 guys raised their hands. 22,000. They got sent home that day. Now he has 10,000 guys, and the odds makers just adjusted the spread because they said, okay, what we thought was, was not good is really, it's turning into a rout now. It's, it's, uh, is these are not good, favorable odds for Gideon and his guys. Then God speaks again in verse 4 of chapter 7 in, Ju- in Judges. We read, there are still too many men, God said. Take them down to the water, and I will sip them for you there. Now God tells Gideon to tell these guys to get a drink from the stream or a pond or, or whatever it was. 
And he says, if they drink like a dog, if they put their face down into the water and lap with their tongue, some guys would have just run right up to the water and, and just thrown their whole head in and just said, I'll just drink it, I'll just suck it up into my mouth. Um, he said, if they, if they do it that way, send them home. What, what God was looking for were guys who when they went up to the stream or to the water, they knelt down. He said, if they kneel down and they bring the water up to their mouth, those are the guys you want to keep. Now, this, there's, a, there's a whole sermon right there in what I just told you about the way these two uh, kinds of warriors would have gotten their water. And it's, it really centers around preparedness, and that's for another day. But when it's all said and done, God has whittled the army of Gideon down. Are you ready for this? Started with 32,000 guys. He whittles the whole army down to 300. Now, if you're Gideon, you're probably speechless. I mean, if you're Gideon, you, at this point, you've just kind of thrown your hands up uh, I know that for, for, from my experience in my life and, and in the experience of most of the people that I know, they would get pretty upset by that and, and that would be enough to discourage us and that would be enough to make us um, say some pretty harsh and hateful things to God. In fact, that would be the kind of thing that, that and, and it does happen sometimes in, in, in other arenas where you hear people say, okay, that's it, I'm out. You know, I've done everything I can for God, I've represented, I've, I've gone to the wall, I've I've tried to be everything he wants me to be, but these, these circumstances are more than I can bear, and if this is the way I'm going to get treated by God, I'm out of here. It would have been really easy for Gideon to have done that. And Gideon's saying, you have got to be kidding me, but wait, because <laughs> the odds are about to get even longer. It's not enough that God's trimmed the army. It's not enough that, that uh, you know, he's, he's going to whittle it down from 32,000 to 300. Now, uh, he tells Gideon that he will attack the Midianites with, are you ready for this? Trumpets and jars. Not swords, not spears. You're going to take your 300 guys, Gideon, and you're going to attack with trumpets and jars. Who wins? Israel wins. I mean, is it any surprise that Israel wins? Listen to how God put this to Gideon when he was trimming down his army. Listen, to, We read the first part, but I want to read the whole verse. This is verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that their own strength has saved her. Had Gideon won with 32,000 guys, I think it's pretty safe to say that they would have at least been tempted to take some of the credit. It'd been, it'd been really tempting if you're Gideon and the guys to say, man, we really, you know, we, 32,000 of us, we, we didn't have as many as they did, but we did pretty good for ourselves today. God wanted full credit, so he trimmed the army. God wants full credit in your life. And so there are going to come circumstances your way that you're going to look at and you're going to say, there is no possible way. God cannot be in this. When in fact, God may be the one who engineered the whole thing. And the best way for you to go about it is to attack, to chase that lion into a pit to secure glory for God. The problem with our prayer life is that too often we're, we're praying the wrong prayer. We come face to face with a lion and the first thing we start thinking to ourselves is, God, um, as we pray, we say things like, God, I really need you to remove this circumstance from my life. I really need you to change the way things are set up right now because God I, I can't do this I can't I don't know how to go about this this is too hard for me uh, when in fact the whole time we we should be praying God 
I'm about to chase this lion into a pit. And, and it's really my goal that when I'm done with this whole thing, that you are going to get glory. Now, what does that look like? That, that could look like a whole bunch of different things. That could be sickness, illness. That could be loss of a job. It could be uh, you know, money problem. It could be something with your kids. It, it could be uh, a problem at work. Whatever it is, oftentimes our prayer life reflects a, a huge lack of faith. And, and we, we start, you know, we think we're demonstrating faith by saying, Lord, I'm, I'm bringing this problem to you. I'm asking you to do something about it. I'm asking you to take this away. You know, be God in this instance. Show forth your mercy and your grace and, and, and be a witness to everybody that's watching as they see this whole problem evaporate. And God's probably thinking, you've got this all wrong. You've made this whole thing about you and you don't understand that this whole thing is about me and how you handle this is gonna say an awful lot about what people think about me there is a chance for you to secure my glory as you chase this line into the pit i put this line in your life for a reason you know we say things like god make it favorable has it ever occurred to you that when you face long odds what god wants to hear from you more than anything else is god bring it on i'm ready i'm ready to i'm ready to you know put on my snowshoes or my spikes or whatever it takes and chase this line into a pit that's the mindset of this church I, you know i have conversations with people from time to time uh, who don't go to church here and when i start talking about our vision and some of the things that we want to do and and our vision is i think for a church our size is pretty aggressive um they're they're nice about it but oftentimes when i'm talking to you know either other preachers or even my own mom and dad when i was home over the holidays i was explaining to them what we were thinking about and and um uh, you know they're, they're concerned they're afraid that that we're biting off more than we can chew and they try to be nice about it but what they basically are saying and not in so many words is your church isn't big enough to do some of the things that you want to do here's a if you're new to us here's one of the things that you need to understand that one of the core values of this church is that we are not interested in doing anything that we can do on our own we're not interested in trying to take on a vision that is a vision that we have conceived that we don't think God is a part of. We're not interested in trying to um, pull off something that we can look back and say, boy, look what we did. We're interested in doing things that when you stand off and you look at it, you say, man, that is just impossible. There's no way you're going to be able to do that. And what we would say back is, you're exactly right. There is no way. There's no way we can do this. We want vision around here and we want to chase after things around here that when they are accomplished not notice i didn't say when we accomplish them when they are accomplished we can look back and say man a lot of things you can say about that but the first thing you can say about that is we leaned heavily into the breast of god for that because there's no way that would have happened otherwise we've undertaken over the 2007 to pay off the mortgage of this church i don't know i could be wrong about this but i don't know that this church has ever raised that much money in one year I don't think we've ever done that. You know, when I tell people what we're trying to do, I've, I've, I've actually explained this to a couple of people, and they're nice about it, but they look at us at me and they, you know, they basically say, I don't know how you're going to do that. And they'll ask questions like, have you ever raised that much money before? What's the biggest offering you've ever had? What's, you know, they'll ask questions like that, and I'll say, but you, you, don't, you don't understand. We've, we've approached this whole thing from the standpoint of we're not going to do it. God is going to be able to supply the things that we need to be able to make sure that first steps gets taken care of. We want to do things that require us to lean heavily 
into the breast of God. We're not interested in doing stuff that's easy. We're not interested in doing stuff that we can do and look back and say, hey, look what we did. We don't want to be tempted by something like that. And so if you're new to our church, just understand that, that the stuff that we've got both immediately and down the road are things that you'd look at and you'd say, man, there's just, how in the world is that ever going to happen? Do you know what you call the measurement for the shortest possible amount of time? There, there is a measurement for the smallest possible amount of time. It's called plank time. Plank time. And, and there's also a measurement for the shortest distance possible that, that, that if, if it moved any less than that, you would say that whatever it was didn't move. Okay, so that whatever minuscule movement you can measure, the shortest distant, measurable distance is something known as plank time. You know, we can't distinguish inside of plank time. Um, so, so if you said something happened here, and, so, and then you go one plank, which would be almost imperceivable to us, and it's here, we couldn't tell. To us, it's simultaneous. It's the same thing. If you have a movement that goes from here to here, and, and to us, it would look like it didn't move. That's, that's plank measurement. You know, God would say, you can't see it, but what you need to understand is I dwell in plank time i dwell in plank measurement i'm inside that i am not defined by a dimension you might not be able to see it but i can see it you might not be able to perceive it but i can perceive it to follow god you really need to start with this truth and this really needs to be to me this is one of the headers of just being a christian in general listen to this this comes out of second peter chapter three with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day God has no dimensional limitation. A.W. Tozer was very fond of, of talking about how we looked at God, and he said, basically, uh, what comes to your mind when you think about God? He, he pretty much asked that question. What comes to your mind when you think about God? And he said, if I can get an answer to that question from you, when I ask you what, do you, what comes to mind when I think about God, if you'll answer that, I can get a pretty good idea of what your spiritual life is gonna look like. In other words, how you think about God determines who you will become. How you think about God determines who you will become. You are the byproduct of your God picture. Most of your problems are not circumstantial. That's probably the greatest mistake that we make whenever we face difficulties is that we think that our problems are circumstantial. Our problems are not circumstantial. Our problems are perceptual. Most of our problems can be tracked back to an inadequate understanding of who God is. And we come into contact with things and we see problems and we say, oh my goodness, how in the world am I ever going to overcome that? That is way too big. We probably speak that way if we do speak that way simply because our view of God is too confined and it's too small. If your view of, if your view of God is large, then the problems that come into your life are gonna pale in comparison. Our problems seem really, really big because our view of God is really, really small. Listen to what Isaiah 55, 8 says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. To help us think about the sovereignty of God, I want to tell you about what happened in 1997. IBM made a computer um, that was going to play chess against the grandmaster Gary Kasparov. And uh, they developed something called Deep Blue. Deep Blue was, 
capable, let's see if I get this right, he was capable of 200 million decisions per second, pretty much. 200 million, um, let's see if I'm saying that, it had 32 processing engines, could calculate 22 million chess moves a second. Now, I struggle with whether or not to pick chocolate or vanilla, okay? 22 million chess moves a second. And Deep Blue was able to defeat Gary Kasparov. But you know what? 22 million chess moves a second is really laughable to God. I mean, I think if if God was going to sit down to play chess against Deep Blue, I think what God would say is 22 million moves a second is all you've got? Come on. You see, the view of God is, well, and I've done this in my own life and I've heard other people do this. They'll come into contact with some big, huge problem and they start to fret and I'll start to fret and I forget how big God is and I forget that he, God is not defined by the limitations that define me. If you think about your life as a chess game, God has this and beyond. 22 million moves of your life planned in advance you know he he's 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 got your life down he, he knows what's going on he's he, nothing happens in your life that is a surprise to him and while you may not understand what's going to happen next god understands perfectly what's going to happen next and what we get upset about oftentimes is that we don't see five moves down the line much less 22 million and god says look i see how this whole thing is going to work out you just got to trust me you just got to pursue my glory in the process of all these things that are going on in your life if you could step off and you could see the big picture you're going to see where i get glory and that's what this is about you know we say this all the time around here but it is not about you and it is not about me God said, it's not about what's happening with you. What's happening with you is going to bring me glory, and that's what this is about. And so when you can see just two moves down the line, you feel good about things, but when you can understand that God sees 22 million and beyond, you can step off and see the big picture the way God sees the big picture, it would, it would put all your circumstances in a whole different light. God, Here's what you have to understand. God wants you to get where he wants you to be worse than you want to get where god wants you to be does that make sense god wants to get you to the place he wants you to be worse than you want to get there god is behind the scenes engineering our circumstances setting us up for success and his glory listen to ephesians for we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do that word prepared comes from an ancient custom of a king sending forth a servant to make sure that the way was safe but this passage turns that around and it says that the king goes before the servant and prepares the way to make sure that it's a safe place it doesn't matter how many moabites you fight it does not matter the size of the egyptian king and it really doesn't matter how big the lion is the issue is how big is your god that's really the issue can you imagine if Beniah had failed? Can you imagine standing at the funeral of Beniah after he's chased this lion down into a pit? You'd hear people saying things like, man, that Beniah, I don't know what he was thinking when he decided to chase that lion into the pit. How stupid can you be? What was he thinking? 
But lion chasers are not afraid of doing something that looks ridiculous to others. We're going to talk about that later in this series. We're going to talk about looking foolish. Lion chasers aren't worried about that because they know my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. If you aren't a Christian, I want to call you to faith. And I want to call you to give your life to Christ. And what you have to understand is, I, I'm not calling you to some wimpy faith. I'm not calling you to something that's, that's uh, you know, if your male is going to, you know, strip you of your manhood and make you feel uh, less than a man and try and wimpify you in some way. That is not uh, what Jesus is about at all. And if you're, if you're a woman, I'm not calling you to, you know, to, to just be some wimpy woman. I'm calling uh, anybody that would come to Christ, what we call you to is a, is a huge faith. A faith that says, hey, I want to be a lion chaser. I'm really calling you to the ride of your life. I'm calling you. I'm, I'm really, more than that, I'm daring you to lay your idea of an exciting life down next to what a life in Christ looks like, a true life in Christ looks like, and let you see what God wants to do in you and with you and if you make that trade, you will never be sorry. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I've never met a person who decided to become a Christian who said at the end of their life, I'm really sorry I did that. I want to be a lion chaser. I want to be the kind of person that when, when things stack up against me is the kind of person who says, oh, <laughs> I got a lion here that's about to make a dash for a pit. I'm going to chase him into the pit. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of man. And I want to hang out with those kind of people. And I want Cross Lane to be that kind of church. And I want you to be that kind of Christian in your workplace and in your family and in your private life. And I'm just wondering who's in and who's out. I mean, we have a choice every day. We can, we can face circumstances and say that's too big and I'm just going to crawl back into my hole and pretend that life never happened. Or we can chase the lion into the pit on the snowy day and God will get glory. I hope that's where you are, and I hope if you've never given your life to Christ, you would think about doing that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, this series uh, is going to take us on a journey where we really examine ourselves uh, in a couple of different areas. Today, we talk about defying odds and how really this whole idea of, of you trimming down Gideon's army is, is uh, it's, you know, we're really tempted to just look at it and say, well, that makes for a great Bible story for the kids. But Lord, there's a, there's a very, very important lesson in that for us. And that is that, that you are not happy uh, with us taking your glory. And so Lord, I, my prayer this morning and, and for us this week is that we would not be found uh, coming to pray to you and saying things like, God, increase my army. Uh, improve my odds take this away and make this better but that Lord we would have the courage and the faith and the strength and the just the, the real dependence on you to be able to say God this is a 500 pound lion and I am about to chase this thing into a pit and, and the outcome of this whole deal rests completely on my view of how big you are God, I want Cross Lane to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of Christian. We can only do that with your help. 
And that's the, the end of our prayers today, that you would make us lion chasers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.